Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted-in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to the Audio Parashah. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman. I'll be your teacher for this particular study today. And the Torah portion is known as Noah, which is translated Noah. The address is Breshit Genesis, chapter 6, verse 9, through chapter 11, verse 32. The reading date, of course, is Shabbat. This particular commentary, uh, the written one, was updated on November 4th of 2005. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible, translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam the translation is, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. This week's portion, this week's parasha, is named after the main character of the piece. Of course, that's our uh, that's our our, our uh, familiar friend Noah. You remember him? He built the ark. Well, in Hebrew, his name is Noah. I think it's a fitting parasha for us to look at, as in my opinion, the condition that mankind found himself in during those days, just prior to the world deluge, is very similar to that of mankind in our current time period. Knowing that history can be our best teacher sometimes, do you suppose that we should have learned our lesson the first time, we as human beings? Yes, I do believe that we should have. However, since we did not, the Torah has decidedly promised that in the days of the second coming of the Messiah, days in which I believe we are living, mankind would once again find himself in a state of such depravity that Hashem would have no choice but to render judgment again. Let's take a quote from the book of Matthew and see if that bears relevance to uh, this opening paragraph. Matthew 24, 37-39 reads, For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Back then, before the flood, people went on eating and drinking, taking wives and becoming wives, right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. It will be just like that when the Son of Man comes. That's an interesting quote. As stated in our current parasha at chapter 8, verse 21, 
and in its corresponding Hof Torah, which is Isaiah 54, verse 9, Hashem is promised never to destroy the world again by water. In fact, that's why we have the rainbow in the sky after it rains. Is I know it's a, it's a scientific phenomenon of the light shining through the water droplets, but the bow is also a reminder. And it's a reminder of this very fact that God is not going to destroy the world by water again. Yet because of the continued evil condition of the hearts of men, our God must render judgment once again. Only this time, instead of by water, the Torah tells us that the destruction will be by fire. And the reference to that is Second Peter chapter 3, specifically verses 3 through 7. To be sure, the passage in Second Peter also mentions the conditions in which we will be living, which will usher in the return of Messiah and the judgment of Hashem. So, now that we've been sufficiently warned in advance, what shall we do to prepare ourselves? The lessons to be learned from Parashat Noah are timeless. Moreover, the solution to the dilemma that is facing mankind is still the same. And what is that solution? The mercy and providence of the Lord. You know, in our last Parashat of uh, Bereshit, we learned how the adversary tricked our first parents into, how shall I say, running to the tree that God commanded them to stay away from. By their disobedience, Death and sin have been introduced into the world, and as a result of that disobedience, all men are slaves to sin. However, by comparison, in this current portion, we find a glimmer of hope. One righteous man, of whom it is spoken, let me read the Hebrew for you real quick. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 reads in the Hebrew, Ele toldot noch, noch ish tzadik, Tamim et Noach. The translation is: Here is the history of Noah. In his generation, Noah was a man righteous and wholehearted. Noah walked with God. The interesting fact about the Hebrew word translated as "walked" in my verse above there is that it belongs to what we call in Hebrew the causative or the reflexive. Heath pael family of verbs. The heath pael um, is reflexive. It's it it uh, conveys the causative aspect of the verbs themselves. In fact, the root word halach is the same one where we get the word halacha. And you've, you're going to hear more of that term later on in our uh, next current and upcoming Torah portions. But suffice to say now that um, the word halacha, which means the way in which to walk is the same root word that um, walked is in this particular ver- verse. Hit halach Noach. And so essentially what the verse is saying to us is that Noach, because of his being found righteous with God, or I'm sorry, because of his being found righteous, was found to be walking with God. That's what the um, tense of the verb means. When it says Noah walked with God, it's not simply that he um, that he was just he elected to walk with God, but rather, um, it, it, it's really saying that it's because he was righteous 
that he was found to be walking with God. It's reflexive, where it says he walked with God. It's a reflect of something previously in the verse there. And in the verse it says, Noah was a man righteous and wholeheartedly. We could translate it this way. Here's the history of Noah. In his generation, Noah was a man who was righteous and wholeheartedly. Therefore, Noah was found to be walking with God. That's what I'm trying to convey, okay? So the question begs to be asked. What did Noah do to merit him such righteousness? Or would he suppose that he earned it on his own? That he was such a righteous individual that God said, Gee, Noah, I think I'll let you walk with me. <laughs> no, our answer is hinted at at the closing verse of last week's, last week's portion. So, we'll sew last week's portion and this week's portion together. So, let me back up. The verse I just read a moment ago is chapter 6, verse 9. That's the first verse of this week's parasha. Let me back up and read last week's last verse. The, ver the last verse of last week's portion. Chapter 6, verse 8 reads, V'noach matzah chin Adonai. The translation is, but Noah found grace in the sight of Adonai. That's the answer to our question. How he came to be walking with God. How he came to be righteous and wholehearted. He found grace with God. God extended his grace and mercy to Noah. And that's what caused Noah to become righteous and wholehearted. And in turn, Noah walked with God. So the question begs to be asked, how did he find grace? Well, it has been rightly stated that grace is God's unmerited favor, granted to us in spite of sinful nature. Simply put, grace cannot be earned. It's as I think there's an old acronym in church circles, grace, G R A C E, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace cannot be earned. Grace is something that God extends to us out of his own goodness. In fact, to bolster our application here, referring once again to the Haftorah portion, it reads out of Isaiah 55, uh, verses 1 through 2, out of the uh, RSV this time, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, and eat what is good, and diligently, I'm sorry, eat what is good and delight yourselves in fatness. Notice the prophet says, Come to the waters, he who has no money, come and buy and eat. It's metaphoric. If you don't have any money, how are you going to buy and eat? These verses speak about the unmerited providence of an all-loving God, one who delights in lavishing goodness upon his children. It's not about earning righteousness. It's about God's choice. So, Hashem chose to endow Noah with grace. But verse 9 says that he was righteous as well. Now, the Renewed Covenant Scriptures, or the Apostolic Scriptures, add the final aspects to these very important qualities of his. So let's turn there, alright? In the faith chapter of Hebrews 11, we read these verses. Chapter 11 and verse 7. It reads this way. But, I'm sorry, by trusting Noah after receiving divine warning about things as yet unseen was filled with holy fear, and built an ark to save his household. 
through his trusting, he put the world under condemnation and received the righteousness that comes from trusting. There's the link to our Torah portion today. The righteousness that comes from trusting. The writer of Hebrews lets us know that it was because of the grace and mercy that God extended to Noah that he received divine warning about the things that were going to come to pass. The judgment befalling all mankind. The great deluge. The, 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 the waters that were going to uh, cover the earth. And Noah, of course, was instructed to build the ark and to place his family in the ark and to bid anyone who would come and enjoy the protection of God. And through this trust, he put the world under condemnation because they refused to believe. And yet he himself received what the writer of Hebrews calls the righteousness that comes from trusting. So, what we're seeing here is the syntax or the order uh, of God's grace leading to righteousness, leading to uh, 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 walking with God, and it comes from trusting in God. We see that in spite of the unbelievably magnificent instructions given him by the Lord, Noah walked the invisible road of faith, just like everyone else was supposed to. I have to pause and let that sink in. He was just like everyone else. Everyone else who names the name of Adonai is expected to walk the walk of faith. I think sometimes we lose sight of the, that fact. We read through the stories of Noah and of Moses and Abraham, and we think these guys were giants. But you know what? Noah wasn't some superhuman faith hero endowed with abnormal amounts of trust. He was, in fact, singled out by God to receive a prophetic word about the impending judgment that was to befall all of mankind. Yet, once he received the instructions to begin building the ark, the word was out. He preached, and the people had the same choice that he did. Either listen to what God has to say, or reject it. What did our man Noah do? He obediently acted in faith with regards to Hashem's instructions. Read that specifically in Genesis 7.22. And about the impending calamity, which, from, from Noah's perspective, was as of yet unseen. And that's where the writer of Hebrews clues us in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1a and 7b. It was yet unseen, and yet he believed the invisible. The remaining mass of humanity wasn't asked to build the ark, were they? No, they were only instructed via Noah's preaching. And uh, we know that Noah preached because Second Peter 2.5 tells us that he preached. But the remaining mass of humanity wasn't asked to build the ark. They were only asked to get in it. Get into the ark that Noah's building. Hashem promised that any who would run to the tree, remember the ark is made out of wood, I'm, I'm drawing a, a midrash here, anyone who would run to the tree of safety, that is, to the ark that Noah was building, would find life. They would not die. Not eternal life, obviously. We're talking about um, uh, uh, mortal life. They would not die in the deluge. Moreover, the very same floodwaters that destroyed that wicked and perverse generation, midrashically, and in fact, factually, it, the same waters that destroyed the wicked people were the very same waters that floated the ark to safety. But the same adversary who was at work in the garden was the same one at work in the world of Noah's day also. 
In the garden, let's draw our midrash. In the garden, remember from last week, in the garden, he tricked mankind into running to the tree when God said to stay away. Yet in Noah's situation, we have the reverse. The adversary tricked mankind into running from the tree that God said to run to. Isn't that a beautiful midrash? And unfortunately, it continues to our day. Mankind has not learned the lessons of history. The imaginations of the hearts of men are continually evil. And so, as the Torah has promised, God's judgment must come. In fact, according to the Torah, when the provision of a righteous and holy God has already been manifested among mankind, then the world is, in a sense, judged already. That's what we read about, that Yeshua, Yeshua's coming into the world spelled judgment for men. Because God's provision, as seen clearly in the person and work of Yeshua, meant salvation for those who would accept, but judgment for those who would reject. And we have to scratch our heads and ask, why? Why is it that way? I believe it's because rejection of the provision of God in the midst of our own sinful state of existence is nothing short of rejecting of God, uh, rejection of God himself. We reject God's means of salvation and we're rejecting God. And rejection of God equals judgment. So when men saw God's Messiah and rejected him, they were judging themselves without even realizing it. This is why the Torah says of that generation living in Noah's day that he put the world under condemnation. That's Hebrews 11 verse 7, the last part of that verse. Noah, by building the ark, put the world under condemnation. And this is also why it is said of Yeshua's first coming. Let's go back now and draw the line between Noah being the Messiah of his day and of course Yeshua being the Messiah of the world. The well-known passage in John chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 17. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to read John 3, 16. We all know that. But let's start in verse 17 and work our way through to verse 21. This time from the KJV. Quote, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, that is Yeshua, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. John explains it. This is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let me just grab a drink of water here. My voice is getting thin. Thank you very much. We learn from these verses in in, um, John here that not only are unbelieving sinful men condemned by the provision of Yeshua's bloody atonement. But we also learn that Hashem's ultimate solution to the dilemma facing mankind today 
is accomplished solely by what? Faithfully trusting and accepting his only and unique son. Therefore, and it's unambiguous, therefore, what is expected of us after reading these verses? The Torah is consistently clear on this point. Let me quote from Hebrews again. This time, chapter 11 and verse 6 out of the KJV. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Very powerful verse. As wicked men, what must we do? In our wicked and perverse generation, a loving God has provided once again what we might call an ark of safety, just like in Noah's day. Wicked man found himself, whether he, whether he realized it or not, he found himself faced, or he found himself standing face to face with God's judgment. And yet God in his mercy provided an ark of safety. The physical ark that Noah built was God's solution. Get into the ark, you will be spared. Again, today, God is providing an ark of safety whereby we can run into it and find peace and safety from the impending storm. What is that ark? This time, the ark has not been made with human hands. Instead, it has been made from the tree, no, from the branch of the man whose name is Branch. Let's quote Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 4 out of the KJV. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Wow! This righteous branch is none other than Yeshua ben Yosef ben David, the Mashiach of Israel and of the entire world. Today, the adversary is telling men, run away from the tree, run away from the branch, the lie of the adversary. But God is bidding us, run to the tree. Run to the branch. The remaining verses of our parasha go on to detail the history following the world deluge. In fact, the unfortunate incident with Noah and his drunkenness is indeed a sobering story. There's no pun intended there. But this moment of weakness doesn't discredit him from being counted in the pages of God's righteous heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. The Torah doesn't expect perfection from its followers. It anticipates failure and consequently might, uh, makes the provision for correction. Even when mankind once again corporately decided to build a name for himself instead of for God, read Genesis 11 verses 1 through 4, our loving Father set out to repair the damage. First, 
by thwarting the evil intentions of men, and then by overseeing, or keeping an accurate record of, the birth of another righteous man. And that righteous man is Avram. To be sure, Hashem had wonderful plans in store for this rather simple man from Ur. But those those, uh, details will have to wait until next week's parasha. For now, in closing, let me reiterate the main points of my commentary this week. I don't want us to lose sight. If we would but put our trusting faithfulness in Hashem through His Son Yeshua, then His Ark of Safety, the, the, the Son of God's Ark of Safety, will lift us and we will ride upon the very same waters of destruction which indeed are coming to destroy the wickedness of sinful humanity. How can we neglect so great an offer of salvation when God has given us again an ark of safety, a tree from which the branch, the man whose name is Branch, is calling out to us, Come unto me, and I will offer you salvation. Wicked man has no excuse. In our sinful state, we simply need to accept his offer of salvation. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vechayi olam nata batochinu Baruch atah Adonai Noten ha'torah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You've given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song, Shema, was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A, number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>